When discussing art history, the term Impressionism conjures up specific images and ideas. It's most commonly associated with France, which makes sense, as it was born in that country around 1870. A reaction against the so-named quote-unquote academic painting, i.e. that which was touted by the artistic establishment of the time, the Impressionists railed against this order by creating works of art whose bright, vivid color palettes and outdoor nature-centric subjects were meant as a juxtaposition to the rapid industrialization that was taking place throughout the country at the time. Due to its bold new approach, it naturally sent shockwaves throughout the rest of Europe and ultimately onto American soil, the latter of which manifested in a veritable artistic movement centered in California in the opening decades of the 20th century. What exactly was California Impressionism? How did this movement come to shape and define the Golden State? And how did it ultimately come to an end? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and let's pack our bags for an unforgettable trip to the West Coast, right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. Ever since its discovery by the Spanish explorer Juan Rodríguez Cabrillo on September 28, 1542, California has been seen as a haven of sorts for radicals, rebels, and nonconformists alike. As such, it's produced a truly remarkable and sometimes amusing cast of characters throughout its long and varied history. There was Joshua Abraham Norton, for example, a British-born Jew who famously declared himself Emperor of the United States on September 17, 1859, after losing his fortunes in an attempt at cornering the state's rice market. Mary Austin, a prominent turn-of-the-century writer, famously set up her studio in a treehouse in Carmel-by-the-Sea, a beautiful oceanfront town just south of Monterey. Then there was Joaquin Murrieta, the so-called Mexican Robin Hood, an outlaw and bandido of dubious historical origins who notoriously robbed and murdered several of his wealthy oppressors and gave their fortunes over to the poor. But it wasn't all social and political outcasts in the state's formative years. In fact, it also drew in several artists, pun intended, from both within the United States and abroad, and it's here where our story truly begins. By 1890, the artistic movement we now know as Impressionism had made its way onto American soil. Promoted and practiced by American artists who were living as expatriates in France, the American brand of Impressionism first found a stronghold on the East Coast, particularly in New England. But as time progressed, and with the famed westward expansion that defined much of U.S. history in the 19th century, its early practitioners began hopping on the proverbial bandwagon, or in this case covered wagon, and headed to places like Utah, Nevada, Arizona, and of course California, to try their hand at starting life anew in this new and wild frontier. The call of California in particular was irresistible to many. Reports of its ideal climate, abundant sunshine, and wide-open spaces had people along the eastern seaboard talking. It was in just such a place with, at the time, little in the way of authority and governance, that these prospective residents felt that they could truly be free and live out their lives as they saw fit, away from the stuffy, suffocating urban areas clustered in and around the northeast and south. For these reasons, many of the early American Impressionists made the move to the fabled Golden State, so as to no longer endure the harsh winters and inclement weather that otherwise made outdoor painting difficult on both the East Coast and in the Midwest. Thus, they came to California in droves in the final decade of the 19th century. They set up shop in San Francisco at first, which at the time was the state's largest city by both area and population. Having grown exponentially as a result of the gold rush half a century prior, it was California's undisputed cultural center. An already thriving art scene had been established at roughly the same time, and these Impressionists took to painting en plein air, from the French for out in the open, in the Bay Area's more rural and bucolic surroundings. With their vivid color palettes and swift brushstrokes, these artists quickly gained the attention of San Francisco's cultured elite. By the turn of the century, 
century, they'd branched out to outlying areas, such as the aforementioned Carmel-by-the-Sea, where an arts colony was established in 1902 that became a veritable refuge for creative types of every kind. Organizations such as the San Francisco-based Sketch Club and the Carmel Art Association helped promote the work of these artists as well as California Impressionism as a whole. But they soon became restless. Beautiful as the Bay Area may have been, it too was a large and bustling city, one that soon proved to be just as stifling as those they'd left along the East Coast. Seeking proverbial greener pastures, many turned their attentions to a sleepy little Wild West town about 400 miles, 645 kilometers, to the south, known as Los Angeles. By the early 20th century, Los Angeles was already over a century old. However, since its founding on September 4, 1781, it had remained little changed. Still a place characterized by a significant Native American population, as well as Spanish colonial architecture, it was a place governed, in part, by lawlessness and a haven for desperados and outlaws of every sort. And yet, despite this reputation, its abundant natural surroundings made it an idyllic, almost Edenic paradise that captured the imaginations of those self-same Impressionists. So it was that many continued their journey southward, ultimately opting to settle instead in Los Angeles. The center of what one writer would later call the Southland Bohemia was situated along the banks of the Arroyo Seco, or Dry Gulch in Spanish, a stream whose headwaters form in the foothills of the San Gabriel Mountains in the northeastern corner of Los Angeles, before wending its way through Pasadena and South Pasadena, before emptying into the Los Angeles River some ten miles away. At the time, virtually the entire length of the Arroyo was wild and overgrown with lush vegetation, and shaded by palm, oak, and eucalyptus trees. In short, it was the ideal setting in which to paint en plein air, and local artists like Franz Bischoff and Alson S. Clark created several works of art that captured these idyllic settings. Indeed, it was here, along the Arroyo, that these two artists and several others would go on to establish the California Art Club in 1906, an organization that's still very much here, and has been an integral part of the Pasadena community ever since. For a roughly 30-year period, the California Impressionists moved up and down the state, putting onto canvas the wild, untamed natural beauty that surrounded them. From the mountains in the east to the rugged coast in the west, the arid deserts and verdant pastures, nothing was off-limits to them, so long as it was painted en plein air and helped put the Golden State on the art map. But it fell out of favor with the Great Depression, as painters began experimenting with newer, more radical styles and schools, as well as turning their attention to social issues during that tumultuous time. It also didn't help that the art market all but halted, with few people with the funds to buy paintings. As such, these artists were forgotten for a time, and while their works remained in private collections, or else hidden away in warehouses or storage units, it seemed that they'd be lost to history. Fast forward to the late 1970s and early 1980s, when a renewed interest in California Impressionism spread throughout the state and soon recaptured the attention of institutions and museums across the nation and beyond. Through retrospectives and other exhibitions, the first of which were held at the Laguna Art Museum in Laguna Beach and the Peterson Galleries in Beverly Hills, respectively, the public was reintroduced to the movement's greatest practitioners. Through the efforts of one Gene Stern, now Director Emeritus of the Irvine Museum of Art and an expert on California Impressionism, these artists were, quote, worthy of both scholarly and commercial attention, unquote. Since then, he has conducted several lectures in universities and museums throughout the country and world, promoting these pioneers who were responsible for bringing the rugged beauty of the Golden State to the art world's attention. While American Impressionism had many local and regional variants throughout the nation in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, that which was born in California is arguably the most famous and popular, especially among art collectors. Today, a Franz Bischoff or a William Vent will fetch a hefty sum, almost as much as any Da Vinci or Van Gogh. It appears that Gene Stern's words ring truer now than ever, that these early figures are indeed worthy of praise, not just for their promoting of the natural bounty of California, but also for their contributions to the medium as a whole. While still less famous globally, 
slowly than the movement that originated in France, it nevertheless was a fascinating chapter in American art, one whose influences can still be felt, especially among California-based painters. It would indeed be difficult to imagine where the art of the state would be without the California Impressionists. Thanks for listening, and welcome back, dear listeners. I hope the first week of summer, winter for my friends in the Southern Hemisphere, has been treating you well so far. As the weather gets warmer and the sun shines down on us, I decided to do something that focused on the warmer weather and ideal climate, two things for which California is best known. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to give it a listen and share it with friends and family, or people you just like. If you're a history lover like me, please consider supporting this podcast on a monthly basis. All you have to do is go to podcasters.spotify.com forward slash pod forward slash show forward slash history loves company all one word and click the support button which will take you to three monthly support plans that fit your budget join me again next week for a look at a notorious american outlaw who ended up in of all places south america be here next thursday to learn more only on the history loves company podcast because history is shaped by all of us this is chester sakamoto signing off for now see you next time Music